Well, good morning, folks. Thank you again so much for the privilege of opening up God's Word. I've had an interesting time uh, preparing this. It's probably taken me longer than any message that I can ever remember. So I, I hope it uh, connects with you. I want to look uh, uh, with you at a particular psalm this morning, Psalm 4. Uh, there are lots of psalms that stand out, and uh, this is one that doesn't stand out for me. <laughs> but I want to read it to you, and then I want to try to talk you through it. Uh, and I hope that in the kindness of God, he might bring some encouragement to you. Psalm 4, the heading in my Bible says, For the director of music with stringed instruments, the Psalm of David. Answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. How long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. In your anger do not sin when you are on your beds. Search your hearts and be silent. Offer sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. You have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord make me dwell in safety. Well, you might read that and think, what on earth does that psalm mean? And is there any particular relevance for us today? Well, there is. I have to tell you, I love the psalms because there is a tremendous honesty in the way in which the writers articulate their frustrations. And sometimes they express things that we might think but wouldn't really want to say out loud. Let me ask you, do you ever get impatient with God when life puzzles you? Well, I don't think you're alone if you do, because I think that all of us get impatient with God, strange as all, and all as that sounds. And and we find these little complaints all the way through the Psalms. Look at Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? Well, I don't know about you, but I relate to that because there have been days when I've been thinking, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? Don't you know what's going on, God? And, and you can sense the frustration of the psalmist in, in that psalm. What about Psalm 35, verse 17? How long, Lord, will you look on? For goodness sake, Lord, don't you know what's going on in my life? Why don't you step in and act? But it seems to me that God rarely does the things that I think he ought to do. You can sense the frustration of the psalmist. And here in Psalm 44, he says, Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. 
And there have been days when I have wondered, is God asleep on the job? Doesn't he know what's going on in my life? Well, these, <laughs> excuse me, frustrations are frustrations that we feel, but maybe don't feel comfortable about voicing, lest people think we're very unspiritual. And yet the truth is we all think thoughts like this all of the time. And this morning we're going to look together at Psalm 4. What do we know about Psalm 4? Well, we know that it was written by David. The heading tells us that. And we know that it was to be uh, accompanied by uh, music with with stringed instruments. We, We know that. But we're not sure when it was written. We, we know that the previous psalm, Psalm 3, was written about the time when David was running away from his son Absalom. Absalom had rebelled against his father and he'd gathered an army and he was pursuing his father David because he wanted to dethrone David. He wanted to take his father's place and become king. So David was in physical danger, and what he needed was God to be a shield to protect him. And he says in verse 3, you, Lord, are a shield around me. And there's a picture of what the Roman soldiers used to do. They would have their big big shields, and they would gather together, and that was kind of all-round protection. And sometimes they would move the shields a little bit apart so they could poke spears out. But, but it, they were pretty safe when they were behind those shields. And and this is the picture. David wants God to be a shield of protection all the way around him. Psalm 3, interestingly, is known as a morning psalm. Verse 5 says, I lay down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. It's a a morning psalm. I wake again because the Lord, Lord sustains me. The Lord has shielded me. So that's Psalm 3, but Psalm 4 is known as an evening psalm. In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone make me dwell in safety. Well, I don't think we can sleep if there's an absence of peace, isn't that right? Haven't you found that when there's something going on in your mind, you just, you just can't sleep? Well, this is, this is what David is saying. Look at verse uh, no, this psalm tells us, interestingly, that David's reputation is being attacked by malicious slander and lies, and he needs the Lord to help him. This is what the psalm is about. These folks, these enemies who were making his life miserable by these false accusations and slanders. And as I was thinking about and processing this, I was out for a walk with Anne at one stage and I was telling her about the psalm and what I was learning from the psalm. And I said, do you ever remember a time when maybe somebody said something about you that wasn't true, that hurt you? And, you know, as quick as a flash, she came back to me and said, yes. And of course, I remembered what she was talking about. And then she looked and said, what about you? And I said, yes, and actually it involved the same person. But there you go. You see, that's part of the experience that we have in in life. And this was David's experience. His reputation was being attacked by malicious slander and lies. And I guess most of us have that 
experience. And yet we read in Proverbs 22 that a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. It's very difficult when somebody's attacking our reputation. Now, when we were children uh, and our friends and playmates said nasty things about us, we maybe went home to mum or or, or dad and, and said so-and-so has been unkind and said nasty things. And we were taught to say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But that's not true. And we know it's not true because words hurt us very, very deeply. I came across a little poem quite a number of years ago, but it's always stuck with me. And it goes like this. Children learn what they live. If children live with criticism, they learn to condemn. If children live with hostility, they learn to fight. If children live with fear, they learn to be apprehensive. If children live with pity, they learn to feel sorry for themselves. If children live with ridicule, they learn to, be, to feel shy. If children live with jealousy, they learn to feel envy. If children live with shame, they learn to feel guilty. If children live with encouragement, they learn confidence. If children live with tolerance, they learn patience. If children live with praise, they learn appreciation. If children live with acceptance, they learn love. If children live with approval, they learn to like themselves. If children live with recognition, they learn it's good to have a goal. If children live with sharing, they learn generosity. If children live with honesty, they learn truthfulness. If children live with fairness, they learn justice. If children live with kindness and consideration, they learn respect. If children live with security, they learn to have faith in themselves and in those around them. If children live with friendliness, they learn the world is a nice place in which to live. So words can hurt. I, I can still remember one or two hurtful things that were sent to me in childhood because they engraved upon my brain and you can't easily get rid of them. And probably that's the same for you. And David was going through a really difficult time because to be falsely accused is agony. And yet we somehow have to rise above it. We, we can't live in that place of pain all the time. Now, this psalm gives us some help in teaching us how to rise above that hurt. D David is helpful to us. The psalm divides into three parts, but what's important is not the outline of the psalm. What's important is what happens to the psalmist when he prays. Because David moves from a place of pain to a place where he's actually praising God. He's quietly trusting God and praising him. 
So the first point we want to think about is the fact that David prays to God. He says in verse one, answer me when I call to you, my righteous God, give me relief from my distress, have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Well, what do you do when you become aware that you have become the subject of some unjust and unkind gossip and accusation? Well, I don't know what you do, but I suspect many of us go to our friends and say, have you heard that this has been said about me? And, and we begin to complain. And we do so because we're looking for sympathy. And if the gossip is really unkind, we might even be tempted to start our own slander campaign to kind of get our own back. But you know, David didn't do that. David turned to God. There are a couple of really interesting words here. Look at that word, distress. That word means pressed into a corner or backed into a tight place. So we're kind of under pressure. So think about that, hold that in mind, and, and then look at another word. It's the word relief. So on the one hand, we've got this idea of, of David under uh, distress being kind of confined, pressed into a tight into a tight corner, and we have this other word, relief. Now, it's rendered differently in different versions. This is really interesting. In the authorized version, it says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. In distress is being pressed into a corner, but he says that God has enlarged him in the authorized version. And look at the RSV. It says, answer me when I call, O God of my right. Thou hast given me room when I was in distress. So what's going on here? Distress meaning backed into a tight corner, into a narrow place. But through the process of that, that God has enlarged him, has grown him. Isn't that interesting? Enlarged troubles lead to an enlarged life. So this was all part of what God was going to use in David's life to bring a, a kind of a spiritual growth, to enlarge him spiritually, make him bigger. You see, he was going to discover uh, uh, trust, trusting in God as opposed to giving in to temptation. David knew that um, God had grown him in the difficulties that he faced. David knew that his only help uh, was from God. And so he appeals to this mercy. And the truth is, when somebody's saying bad stuff about us, it, it, nobody can really help us. You did hear of the, the lady who had, um, she was a gossip and she went to her pastor after the service and she'd been nudged by the Holy Spirit. He'd been preaching about gossip and she, she said to 
to the, the pastor. She said, listen, I just want to lay my tongue on the altar. And the pastor looked at her and said, well, dear, the altar isn't big enough for your tongue. Maybe that's a little bit, bit humorous. But you also heard of the, the, the lady who was a gossip and genuinely came and confessed to her pastor. And her pastor said, she said, what, 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 what can I do? And he says, well, I, I want you to take a pillowcase and open it and take a feather and go around the town and put a feather on the doorstep of everybody that you've gossiped about. So she did that. I don't know how long it took her. Then she came back and the pastor said, well, I've done that. What do I do now? He says, now go back and collect all those feathers. And of course she couldn't because they'd all blown away. The point being that when words are out, we, we can't get them back again. Well, David knew that only God could help him. So he appeals to God. And David's prayer was honest. He doesn't exaggerate. He doesn't pretend that he was okay. He was coming to a God who knows everything. Now, the text indicates that the people who were doing the gossiping were men of importance. There's an unusual word used there to describe them. They were men of importance. And David is deeply distressed by their actions. He says, how long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? And if you look at that carefully in your Bibles, you'll note there's just a little a little uh, indication that there's something in the margin. And they, that's something in my Bible. It says, seeks lies. Seeks lies. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that his enemies are dishonoring him by ruining his reputation, by turning his glory into shame. Well, why are they doing this? Because they love lies. That's delusions. And are opposed to his, uh, his faith in God. They, because these people seek false gods. Do you know the advantage of coming to God with your troubles? It's an important one. You see, when we come to God with our troubles, we don't have to wear a mask. We don't have to pretend. We can tell him exactly where we're hurting and how we're feeling. So David prays to God. And then, interestingly enough, the next thing that David does is he addresses his enemies. He speaks to those people, uh, whether they're listening or not, I don't know, but he speaks to them and he says, uh, well, we've already, sorry, I've, I've jumped ahead a little bit. Uh, we remind ourselves of that text, a good name is more desirable than great riches to be esteemed is better than silver or gold. But he was losing his good name. So he then turns and he speaks to his enemies. And, and whether they listen or not, we don't know. This is what he says. He says, know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. I really like that. The Lord hears when I call to him. David says somewhere else, I love the Lord because he heard my voice. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel that my voice 
is so weak that it might get just lost in the, in, in the noise of all the voices being raised to God. But the Lord hears, and that's a very wonderful thing. And then he reminds them that he belongs to God. And that fact fills him with confidence. And if you know Jesus, you belong to God too. And okay, life is crowding uh, in upon you and, and you're, you're distressed because you're being crushed into a narrow place and there doesn't seem to be any way out. But the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. And, he, and Paul says in the New Testament, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So if God has grabbed hold of your life, God has promised that, that he won't give up. He'll, he'll do that work and complete it in the day of Jesus Christ. And that means that David knew that his enemies wouldn't ultimately succeed because God was at work. And God was at work through uncomfortable circumstances where he felt crushed into a corner and he was enlarging him spiritually. That's extraordinary, isn't it? His enemies' attacks would not ultimately succeed. I wonder, do you ever find yourself when you're the victim of some gossip or some false accusation, I wonder if you ever find yourself getting angry. Well, I, I, I do sometimes, you know, I get the old steam comes out of the ears just a little bit. Well, David gives us some really helpful advice. It's a kind of a strategy of, of how we cope when when we get ourselves into a situation or we find ourselves in a situation where somebody said unkind stuff about us. Look at these verses. Verses four and five says, tremble, be angry and do not sin. When you are on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of a righteous man and trust in the Lord. So the very first thing he says is tremble. Some versions render that uh, angry. Well. Could that mean getting so angry that you're shaking? Well, I don't actually think it means that. I think it means trembling uh, before God, standing in awe of him, recognizing that, that our God is not just a little God that be, can be confined to a box that we put on a shelf somewhere in the background of our minds, but our God is a great big God. A magnificent, majestic, holy, and mighty God. And truthfully, we tremble before him because he's so very different from everything that we are. And we stand in awe of him. And then he says, do not sin because God is holy. I don't know about you, but I've learned to pray, Lord, if there's going to be sin in this situation, please help me so that it's not my sin. Keep me from sin, Lord. And that's what David is saying. Don't, don't, don't sin. Uh, and then he goes on and he says, um, search your hearts. I think it's very easy to get angry at the sins about other, of other people while all the time being a little bit blind to our own sins. 
and I know the temptation. If I want to feel good about myself, I compare myself with somebody else whose life is a, a bigger mess than mine, because that can make me feel good. But that's not very honest. Search your hearts. And when we search our hearts, we begin to uh, discover that there are things in our lives that perhaps the Lord needs to work on. And that helps us to focus on our own issues and rather than on the issues uh, of others. Search your hearts. And then he says, be silent. Now, we live in a world that's filled with noise, and it's very hard to be silent. The Amplified Bible says, be sorry for the things you say in your heart. And sometimes we do say things in our hearts. So some of those references that we made, we looked at at the very outset of saying, God, are you asleep or are you awake? Or how long have I got to wait, God? Don't you know, God? I've said that. Maybe not out loud, but I've said those things in my heart. And um, we have to meditate on these things. And meditate simply means having a discussion with yourself about the stuff that's gone on in, in your heart. And when you have an honest look, at our heart, at your heart, it will almost certainly lead you to that place where you you just have to say, "God, I really am sorry. I, I, I I've I've blown it again." But how wonderful it is to know that He's given this blanket promise that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How wonderful that is. We're just so grateful for the promise of forgiveness. And then he says something that's really puzzling. He says, offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Offer the sacrifice of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Well, what is he saying here? We know that the sacrifices in the Old Testament have stopped. We, we, we don't offer up sacrifices on altars today. So what is he what is he talking about? Well I think he's speaking here to to his followers who may have been really discouraged. But I also think that by his example he's speaking to us about offering sacrifices. Well what are the sacrifices that he's telling us that we need to offer? Well, there are a number of them in the Bible that we ought to think about. In Psalm 51, we have a record of David confessing his sin with Bathsheba. And, and there are several steps during that of, of his repentance in that psalm. But he says in verse 17, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken and spirit, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So my sacrifice is a broken spirit. So when we begin to acknowledge our, our, our sin and feel bad about it, that becomes a sacrifice that God will not despise. You see, I, I think, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I struggle with is that 
I don't, I, I kind of treat sin a little bit lightly. And yet, when we sin, it's like crucifying Christ afresh. And, and David says in Psalm 51, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, God, you will not despise. So maybe that's a sacrifice that we can think about offering. And then there's another sacrifice. They find this one in Philippians chapter 4. And Paul writes, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. An acceptable sacrifice, the sacrifice of of giving now somebody has said there's three kinds of giving there's grudge giving i have to i have to they're looking at me and the bags coming around i have to that's grudge giving and then there's duty giving i ought to but i don't really want to i ought to and then there's thanksgiving is when we give it's just as an expression of praise and thankfulness to God. I, I think it's interesting. Paul writes in Second Corinthians 9, I think, that God loves a cheerful giver. And that word cheerful is the word hilasterion, from which we get our English word hilarious. So I don't know if you ever feel hilarious um, putting money in the offering. I did hear of the little boy and his dad was trying to teach him a lesson. He said, God loves a cheerful giver. And he gave him a pound and he gave him a 50p piece. And he said, I want you to think about what you're going to give to God. So the little boy decided he was going to give 50p to God. Uh, and his dad asked him why. He said, because it made me cheerful. But actually, our giving is not about pleasing ourselves. It's about pleasing him. And uh, actually, if you really want to think about it biblically, it's not about how much we give to God, because God has given us everything. It's how much we keep for ourselves, isn't it? How much we keep for ourselves. So our giving can become a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, which is lovely. And then there's another one here in Hebrews 13, verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise the fruit of lips that openly profess his name so the sacrifice of praise and it's not just on a sunday morning at 11 o'clock and a midweek prayer meeting let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise how marvelous it is to think about uh, praising god i know that there was one lovely old saint in years past, whose name's escaped me, uh, whose name escapes me just now. And he says, oh God, you who have given me so much, grant me just one more thing, a grateful heart. We've got a lot to be grateful for, don't we? So the Lord is pleased with that sacrifice of, of praise. And then there's another one in the next verse, verse 16. Do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices... God is pleased. Sharing with others, it might be your next door neighbor wants to borrow your, your lawnmower. That becomes a sacrifice of praise when you share. Maybe you see somebody in Buchanan Street or, uh, and they're hungry. 
they want money and you think they might use it for drugs, so go buy them a sandwich. Buy them a sandwich. With, with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And then there's the last one, and probably the best known one that you're all able to quote from memory. Um, Romans 12 verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Lord, take all of me, not just part of me. I think our struggle is with selfishness. We kind of like to hold on. But actually, he, he deserves everything. He deserves everything. These are the sacrifices that I think that David was speaking to, to his followers about and in a very real way speaking to us about. So he prays to God. He addresses his enemies. He kind of speaks, speaks to us through his own example. But then we ask the question, well, okay, what was the outcome for him? Well, it's interesting because verse 6 says, many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Who will bring us prosperity? David's people were discouraged. Uh, and the tents reveal that the, discourage, the discouraging statement was repeated again and again. Who will bring us prosperity? Who will bring us prosperity? Now, some versions translate that, who will bring us better times? And it wasn't just said once, but repeatedly, Lord, when are things going to get better? When are things going to get better? And, and we can say that. And, and David knew God, and he had confidence that darkness would soon become light. Let the light of your face shine upon us. It's the light of Christ, the light of the world. Let the light of your face be close to us and, and just shine on us, Lord. And then he says, the next step in this is, verse 7, you have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. Now, if you think about it in those days, a good harvest often meant the difference between life and death. It was survival. So when they had a good harvest, man, they were filled with joy. But David says, you have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. Have his circumstances changed? We're not told they have. But maybe God has changed him in the circumstances. He's been in that tight place in distress. But God has enlarged him through it. What an experience. And then finally he finishes and he says, In peace I will lie down and sleep for you alone, Lord. Make me dwell in safety. God gave him peace. And the word there is shalom. And that means much more than just the absence of conflict. It's much more than the absence of conflict. It's about the presence of God and about confidence that God is unchanging and God will never let him go. So he's moved from a place of pain to a place of praise. And how has he got there? Well, he's got there through prayer. 
And I just pray that whenever you have difficulties, the pressures that are coming in from any one of a number of different directions, and they can come from every point of the compass, I just pray that the Lord will help you so that when you're in that confined and tight space, that your response would be to pray. And as you pray, that you would be enlarged spiritually, made bigger, to know his peace so that you'll have no trouble sleeping at night because you know that you're held in the hand of a loving and a lovely God. I just pray that this will be of help to somebody. Let me pray with you just now. Father, we thank you so very much for all your mercy and grace. Thank you for this precious word. We pray, O oh Lord, that you, you might use it to bring comfort to somebody today. That we might begin to perhaps get a little larger understanding of just how much you love us and of how much you want to change us. So help us, O oh Lord, that in every way our response might be from a place of pain to pray and in praying that we might come to a place of praise and peace. And may it be that the praise that we bring you will bring glory to your great name. We ask these things, Father, in the precious and lovely name 